Today's episode is brought to you by SeatGeek, the smartest and easiest way to get tickets to every MLB game. With SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like seeing the best plays of the year in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone. It's the easiest way I know of to shop for tickets. If you get it too, you can be anywhere, and with just a few taps, instantly find seats. They don't even have to be baseball seats. SeatGeek has plenty of concert, comedy, and theater tickets available too. And no matter what event you're attending, SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. SeatGeek saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. And to get you the most bang for your buck, SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Best of all, Ringer MLB Show listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 rebate on tickets, download the SeatGeek app, go to the Settings tab, and click Add a promo code, enter the promo code RINGERMLB, that's all one word, and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. So download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code RINGERMLB today. Welcome to the Ringer MLB Show. My name is Ben Lindbergh. I'm a writer for TheRinger.com, as is my colleague and my co-host, Iron Man, Michael Bauman. Hey, Michael. Hello. I'm watching the bubble, Ben. I've got my eyes fixed on the bubble. (laughs) Excellent. We work even on holidays. This is a special Memorial Day edition of the Ringer MLB Show. See, I thought we got Monday off because it was Selection Monday for college baseball as the field (laughs) of 64 is finally announced. Yes. Let us all know what happens i will uh, oh believe me i will much to much to your own displeasure not on this podcast but they call it the mlb show right not the the ncaa show the sec show i always thought of it as as an omnibus baseball show we've talked about indie league we've talked about japanese baseball yes you're right we've tested the limits before i can't i can't use that excuse so on our most recent episode we talked about an innovation that's happening on the pitching side fewer fastballs more curve balls changes to the traditional pitch mix turns out there is also some innovation going on on the offensive side one of the most popular storylines in analytical circles this season has been the fly ball revolution or what could be a fly ball revolution we want to talk about where that revolution stands what it is exactly how well it's working what questions and uncertainties there still are. So we've brought on two people who've spent a lot of time and effort writing about this and talking to people and analyzing it. So first is Travis Sochik from Fangraphs. Hey, Travis. Hey, guys. How are you? Doing well. And Rob Arthur from 538. Hey, Rob. Hey. So I guess we'll start with Travis, since it is almost a full-time job for you to write about hitters who have increased their fly ball rate and why that is a good thing in many cases. So we did have Doug Latta, the hitting instructor whom you spoke to for an article on this podcast some months ago. But for people who weren't listening to that and aren't familiar with the whole idea of the fly ball revolution and why it could potentially be beneficial to raise your launch angles to hit more fly balls, can you give the high level summary of this topic? Yeah, I I met Doug back in 2013 when I was still covering the Pirates for a newspaper. And they had acquired Marlon Bird at the deadline, and he had dramatically changed his uh, fly ball rate, ground ball, fly ball ratio, all that that sort of good stuff. And 
he had an interesting story to tell how he worked with Doug Lotta the previous offseason and they'd rebuilt his swing. And I wrote about it. I thought it was interesting, but I also thought it was going to be very, uh, this was a very personal story, very case by case. This was, I was not thinking this could be something widespread, just as pitchers had ground ball tendencies or characteristics. I suppose most hitters could not fundamentally change their batted ball distribution. So as time went on, we saw the Josh Donaldson story, the J.D. Martinez story, a number of hitters who had begun to change the quality uh, and type of batted ball they produced. And it seemed to, that was interesting. Okay, more guys are doing this. And, mm-hmm. and the idea being why you would want to create more fly balls is the lowest batting average slugging percentage comes on ground balls. So ideally, the line drives have the greatest batting average, the greatest slugging percentage, I believe, in Fly ball. So a fly ball, an air ball value is greater than a ground ball value. So ideally, you want to have a certain launch angle with a certain exit velocity to maximize your run production capabilities. So I called Doug up in January. I asked him if he thought this was going to take off, if we were seeing fundamental changes, if more hitters were going to buy in. And I think we have seen more hitters buy in. Uh, the, mm-hmm. the merits of the revolution I, it can be debated. But I think the general, I think there are more hitters getting on board with the idea of no ground balls, as Josh Donaldson has spoken about on social media. And I think we have seen more of that uh, to date, even if it doesn't show up in the fly ball, ground ball numbers league wide. It's a complicated subject, but I do think we are seeing more belief and buy in. Uh, throughout the game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we are here to debate the merits, I suppose. So Rob, uh, our friend Sam Miller tweeted something recently. I read all the launch angle articles, but it's hard for me to believe that all these major leaguers just figured out hitting home runs is good. And uh, you retweeted that tweet. And Sam was not saying that he doesn't believe this, just that he's kind of had to struggle to believe it because on the surface, it sounds almost implausible that it would be possible for major league hitters who have already seemingly optimized their skills in a lot of cases just to get where they are. And this is an old sport and strategies seem to have cemented in in some ways a long time ago. So it on the surface sounds unlikely that suddenly hitters would just figure out how to hit home runs all of a sudden. So we'll get into the examples of cases where this has clearly worked and also some cases where maybe it hasn't. But can you kind of give the, I guess, the general skeptics attitude toward this, if that reflects your beliefs? Yeah, um, I, I would I would say I'm, I'm pretty much where Sam is. There's definitely, it definitely seems as though hitters are making a concerted effort to hit more fly balls. So I'm, I'm definitely with Travis as far as that goes. Um, and certainly some of that probably stems from guys like Donaldson being so vocal about it. Uh, what, what I guess I question is whether that is making most hitters more effective. I, I think for a few hitters, Donaldson included, uh, it's maybe worked really well for them and it's uh, worked to propel them to become some of the best hitters in baseball. But it seems like for every one of those hitters who it's made great, there's another hitter who has tried to adopt this philosophy and failed. And uh, I think it's it sort of makes sense to me that if you had any blanket advice that you would give to all hitters in MLB, if it was something as obvious as just hit more fly balls, um, then many of the hitters already would have tried that. And uh, if it was effective for them, would have adopted it. So the fact that we're seeing just as many hitters that, that it's not worked for suggests to me that it, it can't be as simple as simply just telling everyone in baseball to hit more fly balls. 
I wonder if it, I mean, it, it pretty much is for some people, you know, the Donaldson's and the, um, the Justin Turner's and Yonder Alonso's. And the fact that the game is old doesn't necessarily mean that, like, that obvious things aren't out there to be discovered. Cause, you know, we saw this a hundred years ago when Babe Ruth started trying to hit fly balls and then everybody realized they could. And we, you know, we're seeing it in basketball where Steph Curry started taking deep threes and opened up the floor. And all of a sudden, everybody realized that they could do it. And everybody, you know, everybody's taking more three pointers than ever. So just because something seems too obvious, I, I wonder if it actually is too obvious that, you know, the, the game is really steeped in tradition. I wonder if just old habits die hard. That's that's fair, but both of the examples that you cited are sports with much less uh, mature analytics establishments than baseball has now. I mean, basketball analytics is still fairly new, and there's this explosion in uh, the use of it, and that is part of what propelled this three-point revolution. And uh, when you go back to baseball in the 20s, you know, obviously there wasn't a lot of uh, a lot of statistics even to think about there. We're, we're dealing with the stats on fly balls and on batted balls more generally have been around for uh, more than a decade, if, if not further back for some teams, I'm sure. Um, so this information has been out there for a while. And, and maybe it is true that they, that people just hadn't tried it yet, but it's harder for me to believe. Do you know if the sort of the large end numbers on slugging percentage and batting average for ground balls and fly balls are changing now that the balance is changing? Or is it just a fly ball still worth about as much as it was on the aggregate as it was five years ago? So I think that fly balls have definitely gotten more valuable very recently. Um, So the home run surge that sort of took place in the second half of uh, 2015 made the home run per fly ball rate go up a huge amount. And it's now the highest it's ever been in baseball history, at least for, for the years that we have stats. So that has made fly balls more valuable. So to the extent that fly balls have become more valuable since 20, since late, the latter half of 2015, it makes sense to hit more fly balls. And so I can see it being a rational choice if you're a player to hit more fly balls since they're suddenly even more valuable than they were. But the changes that we're seeing are, I think, somewhat out of proportion with that relatively small change in the value of fly ball. Well, Travis, uh, we've mentioned some of the kind of standard bears of this movement, Justin Turner, Josh Donaldson, J.D. Martinez, and Michael just mentioned Yonder Alonso, who's one of the latest crop. Could you, for people who haven't been following this quite as closely as you have, could you give us the, the latest guys who have seemingly embraced this and improved as a result? Yeah, Yonder is public. He's he's the face of this right now. He's a poster child because he's had the greatest uh, fly ball increase this year. I think it's a 20% increase over last season. And the number two person on the list is interesting. It's Francisco Lindor of the Cleveland Indians, and he's had this power surge early in the season. And he claims he hasn't made any conscious changes to swing plane or philosophy. Uh, he has become a more, it appears, a more selective hitter in the zone. And he has been able to drive pitches more often with authority. So he's maybe a surprise candidate this year. I did speak with J.D. Martinez this year, who has received publicity in the past for the swing changes he's made. And he was interesting because he said throughout his entire amateur and professional career with the Astros, he'd been taught to hit the ball back up the middle, hit the L screen in batting practice. The perfect hit is a low line drive single. Uh, that was his perfect swing, uh, rather. And he, as he struggled, uh, as he saw uh, his teammate Jason Castro have some success a few years ago by elevating, he began to question that. 
is a guy who went to the private instruction route in an offseason and rebuilt his swing. And I think what's interesting is this is a philosophy that's really been born outside the game with private instructors, not internally through organizational hidden instructors. And Martinez believes there's a lot of tradition involved in the coaching and hitting techniques in professional baseball, and they have not involved teaching the uppercut swing path. Uh, so that was his theory. I, I think it's interesting. And while we are not seeing a huge spike in fly ball rate, we are seeing pitchers pitch more down in the zone, uh, despite the home run surge. And we have, so I wonder if there's some sort of cancellation effect where mm. there is a increased buy-in, but pitchers continue to pound the bottom of the zone. We are seeing a slight increase in launch angles on pitches in the bottom third and slugging percentage go up in the bottom third, which the swing plane is supposed to be effective against those sinking type of fastballs down the zone. So yeah, those are some of the things I've investigated and looked into. And I am a believer that there is some merit to this, but uh, you know, it's a complicated subject and it's it's still on the potentially the front end of, if this is a revolution of sorts, it is still early on in, in, the, in the story, I believe. And Rob, you just wrote something for 538 about hitters who seemingly have been hurt by this. Can you go over some of those guys and were you considering an element of intention? In other words, were these guys who we know tried to embrace fly balls and then they suffered or are they guys who just happened to hit more fly balls and they suffered and maybe there were other things going on there? Yeah. So getting at intention is really tough and it's tough, I think, in particular particular from the perspective of a reporter, because uh, if a guy tries something and it works terribly, then uh, he's maybe less likely to talk about it to a, a beat writer than the guy that tries it and it works. Mm-hmm. So so I couldn't really get at that. And, and that's an important caveat for the analysis that I did. But that analysis was I just looked at all the hitters over the past few years who had changed their, uh, I looked at them and, and how they changed their fly ball rate. And then I looked at how their weighted on base average had changed. And I plotted those two things against each other. And what I found is there was really no correlation whatsoever between hitters increasing their fly ball rate and doing better offensively. And so a few notable examples uh, included like uh, Kike Hernandez, who had increased his fly ball rate, I think more than 10%. And his, uh, his Woba had dropped almost 100 points. Another one that was kind of interesting was Jason Hayward. The Cubs have been very vocal about sort of embracing the idea that um, fly balls are good to hit. I think their slogan is there's no slug on the ground. Um, and Hayward, since joining the team, increases fly ball rate quite a bit, uh, also around 10%, I think. And obviously, he's had some very well-documented struggles. Now, whether that's because he was uh, trying to increase his fly ball rate. He was actively adjusting his swing plane. That's something that I don't think uh, we can really get at. And and the other thing is he may not even know it, right? He may have just been sort of around all these guys that are preaching this, and it sort of seeped into how he viewed hitting without maybe uh, conscious intention. So that, that, that's a big factor, but uh, it's just something that I don't think that we can get get at. Good. I'm kind of relieved to hear you say that because I just had a big story run today about Francisco Lindor who had a similar jump. He had like a 15% jump in or 15 percentage point jump in his fly ball rate this year and he's hitting more home runs than ever. And I went up to his locker and asked him what was up and he said, I didn't even realize I was hitting more fly ball. So like, I'm just curious as to what other... Is it just this early in the season that we're still dealing with sample size noise? Or does I thought that a bad ball profile would stabilize earlier than this, but I don't know, I'm looking for other other explanations. Yeah, so it could have to do with pitch selection. It could have to do with 
some other element of their mechanics. I think that's something that gets lost in a lot of these discussions is that, uh, you know, you can't really tell a hitter to just hit more fly balls, right? That That's a very complicated physical maneuver that they're doing every time they go up to bat. And so maybe by Lindor changing some other uh, pattern in his hitting, he somehow hit, hits more fly balls now, but it, that's not the important thing. It could be the fact that he uh, changed where he where he plants his foot or something. So I, I think that it's always tricky when you're looking at these output level changes to figure out what, they, what the hitters are actually doing differently to bring about those outputs. And I guess either of you could answer this or both of you could answer this, but we could start with Travis. If you were the hitting coach or a team's hitting coordinator, based on what you know, the research you've done, what would your recommendations be or, or how would you tailor it to the individual hitter and body type and style because it's probably too simplistic to say that everyone should hit a certain way and should hit more fly balls and should hit at a certain launch angle. So what would the exceptions be or, or how would you try to sort of custom fit it for certain guys? Right. Yeah, we don't want Billy Hamilton at a 35 degree launch angle, right? So right. Uh, each player has his own specific case and entity and coaches should treat players as their own specific cases. Daniel Murphy had some interesting thoughts on this. He does not like the term fly ball associated with what he's trying to accomplish, the so-called revolution. He prefers air ball because to him, he's not trying to hit fly balls. He's trying to hit line drives. And he is a data savvy player. And he does go to baseball savant and he checks in uh, on his launch angles and he has found that the sweet spot for him, he believes, is that 10 to 16 degree launch angle, which is a line drive. That's what he's trying to produce. And it makes sense. He wants, as he says, he wants to hit the ball uh, in a place where no infielder has a, a possibility of interfering or catching catching it. And there's only three outfielders covering a much larger swath of territory. So that makes sense. Lindor, I guess we've all spoken Francisco Lindor this year. And I spoke to members of the Indians hitting staff about this idea of translating uh, raw power, batting practice power into game power. Uh, Lindor uh, is not aware or not consciously trying to hit home runs, but he is, he says, narrowing his focus. He's become more selective. He's offering at pitches he can better, better drive. So maybe he's always had this natural swing path. He is just in a place where he's zeroed in and can better is better selecting pitches he can drive because uh, he he's said himself he's not a weak even though he's a shortstop he does not consider himself a weak person and even dating back to his pre-draft workouts in 010 he he shocked mariners officials with the power he showed at safeco and workouts there so maybe it's a matter of just being more uh selective and picking out pitches to do damage again so uh, i think that's a big part of its selectivity uh i think each hitter should uh, focus on their strengths. Uh, I guess the last thing I'll mention is Cole Figueroa, who's with the Pirates last season. He's now in the Tampa Bay uh, front office. He was a believer in, in the swing path, and he cited some of uh, Dr. Alan Nathan's work. And his thing was he liked to think about being on the same plane as the pitch. The pitch is coming from a slightly downhill angle from the mound. He liked to think of his bad path being on the slightly uphill uh, path to meet the ball squarely. So he wasn't he didn't like the term uppercut. He was thinking about trying to get on the same plane as the pitch to keep the bat on that plane as long as possible. So that, I think that philosophy makes sense. I think Murphy's philosophy makes sense. I think some of the things Lindor has discussed makes sense. So I would maybe sell it more as an airball revolution 
than, as Murphy said, than a flyball revolution, which I think scares some guys and maybe misses some of the point of what uh, some hitters are trying to execute at the plate. If we're having an airball revolution, that bodes well for my popularity in pickup basketball. Um, <laughs> so this is sort of a an unscientific question, but since we brought up Hayward and since both of you have written about him this year, and because I fell so in love with him as a rookie and just haven't been able to give up hope, like, you know, just looking at his weight of runs created versus his ground ball rate or his batted ball profile, there isn't really anything that tracks like do you think he can be fixed at you know or what you know what does fixed even mean i I think he can be fixed and i think that fixed means back to being 10 to 20 percent better than league average uh that's about his career rate as a hitter and uh i don't know that he's i think his, his glory days of being better than that are probably behind him but i still have hope that he can become an above average hitter he's been reasonably well he's been better this year uh if not quite uh, back to that high point. Um, but, uh, I, I think that fixed means, means just getting his mechanics back to where they were pre joining the cups. And Travis, you've written about a couple of guys who've seemingly taken this approach to such extremes that maybe they've taken it too far and it's actually counterproductive guys like Ryan Schimpf and, uh, Trevor story who maybe have taken it to such extremes that it's actually harmful or, or maybe you don't think it is, but can you tell us about those guys? Yes. Yes. Schimpf, he is the most extreme of these hitters, right? He is the highest fly ball percentage on record. And he, he did that last year and it was a small sample and we were wondering if he could do it again. And last time, uh, I checked in. He was even bettering his fly ball rate of last season. So I think in his case, it's just, it's an interesting batted ball profile. It's extreme. And I, I mean, I think it, it works to a degree for him. He hits a ton of extra base hits. He's, he's not obviously grounding into double plays and he has a double di- digit walk rate too. So he's this really awkward fly ball rate. But yeah, I guess the point is his batting average is also 169 and 202 for his career over a full <laughs> season's worth of work there so yeah that's problematic so in that sense yeah maybe it is too extreme and trevor story i've written like 180 fangraphs articles this year so i forgot i even wrote about trevor story <laughs> but yeah i did write about trevor story and he's another guy where yes he's an extreme that has perhaps taken it too far in this fly ball direction but if you're playing a course field hitting as many fly balls uh, as possible is a good thing. And, and those launch angles, you know, we talk about the air ball versus fly ball and Murphy believes that the message needs to be repackaged. Uh, maybe some players are getting too caught up in fly balls and need to be thinking more about that 15 degree launch angle and think about more line drives, uh, which is what every hitting coach has taught for a hundred years. But I think there's a slight difference in the methodology of bat path uh, that we've seen become more public in the last few years. But yes, those are two examples of guys who have taken it too far. I, I do think in Shim's case that it makes him an interesting player. I'm not sure it's allowed him yeah. to get to the major leagues. I'm not sure it's a negative, but he's an example of he's traded a lot of batting average uh, for the poten- potential of the extra base hit, a lot of pop-ups. So yeah, it's, it's interesting mm-hmm. uh, where you are in the extremes. All right, let's take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. And we'll be right back to hear more from Rob and Travis. 
This is our Memorial Day episode. No one wanted to be recording or producing a podcast this weekend, so we had to plan ahead so we could get the podcast out and our traveling in. If you're usually a planner, especially when it comes to traveling, there's an app called Hotel Tonight that might make you rethink things. Basically, Hotel Tonight teams up with great hotels to help them sell their unsold rooms, which means there are always incredible deals available. And these aren't last resort places. They're cool, top-rated hotels you actually want to stay in. Not to mention, with over 15,000 awesome partner hotels in 36 countries, Hotel Tonight can help you find a great hotel hotel almost anywhere. Whether you want to spend the weekend away on a whim or book yourself a staycation at a cool local place, Hotel Tonight can help you be just a little more spontaneous. I'm away at a wedding right now. We made our plans months ahead. We didn't need to. We didn't know about Hotel Tonight. I wish we could get a do-over. And if you use Hotel Tonight, you can book up to a week in advance, so it's not just for last-minute getaways. All it takes is 10 seconds, just three taps and a swipe. So see for yourself. Download the Hotel Tonight app right now. So does hitting more fly balls benefit hitters as everybody gets bigger and stronger? Because, you know, we talk about Lindor and in the article about him, I mentioned Honus Wagner is a, a guy who is really big for, for shortstop at the time. But Honus Wagner is about the same size as Lindor. So this is like we're just dealing with bigger, stronger people on a field with the fence the same distance from home plate. So is this, you know, or is it better to hit fly? It, it would stand a reason then it would be better to hit fly balls. If you're stronger, you're getting more force on the ball, you're hitting the ball harder. Yeah, certainly. And ballparks today, you look at Yankee, the new Yankee Stadium, and there are a lot of, I think the right center gaps are like 340 feet. So there's a lot of incentive in many places in Major League Baseball to hit the ball in the air. To A lot of players are getting bigger and stronger. Some guys believe that explains the home run fly ball rate, just as pitcher's velocity keeps increasing mysteriously. Perhaps it's just a matter of players becoming stronger that's explaining the efficiency uh, on balls uh, put in the air, uh, just as we see Olympic athletes break world records every four years. So maybe, maybe the increased strength and size is playing a, a role in this, and that should only further the incentive to get the ball off the ground. And I mean, another obvious explanation and, you know, Rob, you wrote about this with Ben last year is the balls are juiced. Where do you guys stand on, on the balls being juiced or not? Uh, well, I can't speak for Ben, but I would say it's not entirely demunked for me, uh, according to, to Ben's recent piece where he got the report from Major League Baseball and they did their own testing. It doesn't look like based on their testing, there was any change to the balls. Um, however, their testing has very wide confidence intervals. It's very difficult to do these tests. And I'm still sort of holding out hope that there there was some change. Uh, the, the main reason that I think that, th- that there was a change to the ball is because the, cha- the uh, increase in home run rates occurred so rapidly. There's never really been a, a half-to-half change in the middle of a baseball season like that before. So now I'm wondering if, if it could have been a change to the balls that was then uh, supplemented by a change to the hitters or maybe this, this, uh, fly ball revolution. But I wonder if it wasn't two things that occurred simultaneously. And so we're seeing that play out both instantaneously mid year 2015, and then also over a longer time period. Yeah. Even after getting those test results from MLB, I'm, I'm still somewhat seduced by that theory. And I, I've been reading, I subscribe to the newsletter of Craig Wright, the historian and trailblazing sabermetrician, which is called a page from baseball's past. And lately he's been writing this series about 
the original fly ball revolution when we went from the dead ball to the live ball and then Babe Ruth started swinging for the fences and everyone else followed suit. And we think of that as like 1920 is the live ball era and everything before that is the dead ball era. And as Craig showed, it's actually a gradual change that happened really over about three years. There was a documented change to the ball, definitely changed. And then there was also the change of MLB replacing balls much more frequently in games. So they would let fans keep the fouls and use a new ball instead of just using the same dirty, beat up baseball the whole game. And those two changes seemed to coincide with a change in approach for the hitters because those changes made it more rewarding to hit fly balls. And so then when Babe Ruth demonstrated the effectiveness of that, everyone saw it and and followed suit. And so it would be very easy to make a case that this is the same thing happening again, it would fit with the timeline, at least, that if there were some change to the ball, then fly balls became more valuable. Then everyone realized, hey, we should hit more fly balls. So it fits very neatly. And I don't know how to square that with the test results. It's possible, of course, that what MLB was satisfied was conclusive is is not actually, because as Rob mentioned, there are pretty wide tolerances there. But reading that old series has had me thinking about the modern day change and and how closely it seems to mirror it in a lot of ways. So I'm curious about what you guys think precipitated this. If not the ball, why is it happening all of a sudden? Because as Rob mentioned, we've only had StatCast for a few years now, but when I was interning for teams in 2009, 2010, they had hit FX data, which was similar and they were you know, looking at launch angles and all that sort of thing. And so you wonder why it would wait until the public is aware of it for hitters to start making these changes, but maybe it just takes time for that awareness to filter down to the clubhouse. And when people are talking about it on ESPN and MLB network and everywhere, and players are hearing about it that way, maybe it's more persuasive than it is when it's just some stat head in the front office looking at hit FX and players have never heard of that before. So Travis, you've been in the clubhouse talking to people about this the most. How have you found that they have become converts? Is it something that they're hearing from teammates? Is it something that they're hearing from front offices and coaches? And and how does that tend to be communicated? Are people talking about launch angles like Daniel Murphy is, or are people keeping it sort of generic, like hit the ball in the air or keep it off the ground, that kind of thing? Right. Yeah. I think Murphy is an outlier because I, I don't know the percentage of the major league population that goes on to baseball savant and uses the search tools. But there are players like him. I do think he's an outlier. I think just being around clubhouses for four or five years, it does the speed of the idea doesn't always move as quickly in the clubhouse as it does uh, in the circles where we write and report. Uh, So, and you also have to remember the swing is a very personal tool for these guys uh, and their philosophy. And they've risen to the major leagues uh, being coached and taught a certain way. And oftentimes it's very conventionally. So to change that at the pinnacle of the sport, I think is probably a difficult thing to to do at times. And it requires open-mindedness, curiosity. And oftentimes I think there has to be a necessity where this, a player's not performing well. Uh, I believe Marlon Bird was struggling uh, before, before his swing change, Josh Donaldson, uh, was not a prospect of, of great pedigree. J.D. Martinez was struggling. So these were players who were uh, looking for an edge 
through through swing playing to or something or philosophy to reach the major league. So I think we are seeing a greater acceptance of information available. I just talked to Jared Hughes, the Milwaukee Brewers reliever, last week, who is he's uh, one of the most extreme sinker ball guys in the game, and he's become interested in launch angle and and uh, opponent slugging percentage. Uh, that are these so-called five ball revolution guys. He's he's curious to learn where he can pitch around them. Uh, where are their hot spots? Where are their cold spots? And he says in the Brewers uh, bullpen this year in, in right center field, I believe in Miller Park for the first time, he's experienced guys having conversations about swing plane, exit velocity, uh, how to combat that. So maybe the speed of the idea is picking up. Maybe more players are becoming interested. But even if teams were looking at this seven, eight years ago, I think it does take a while for acceptance to uh, to trickle down to the clubhouse, uh, just similar to defensive alignment and things of that nature. So uh, that's been my uh, firsthand experience over the last four or five years. Yeah, so I agree with that, and uh, and I think that uh, although I, I I underrated the idea that hitters might be more receptive if they saw these stats in the public, I think that's true. Uh, I think that just being able to see exit velocity and launch angle on a broadcast somehow makes them more able to accept the advice that they might receive from a front office guy or from a, a outside uh, consultant or a coach uh, to hit more fly balls. So I think that's that's certainly part of it. And and the other thing I wanted to say is, uh, and Travis, you touched on this. A lot of the guys who have benefited the most from the fly ball revolution. Um, have been people who struggled for a long time to be good hitters, and so that like you said, that makes them more willing to accept a change to their philosophy and probably makes any change more likely to be productive because they're starting off from a place where they weren't as good. So by changing something, they're going to possibly become better. Mm -hmm. And are there any remaining questions you guys have about this whole topic that we haven't touched on yet about whether it's real, whether it's pervasive, how we can measure it, how we can encourage it? Any big ideas, big questions that are on your mind as you are monitoring the developments? So my big question is, uh, what do the hitters that have benefited have in common? So is there something that Donaldson and Alonzo and Lindor have that they share, some trait um, that makes them ideal to be hitting more fly balls? And, And similarly, the guys that haven't benefited when they've hit more fly balls, do they have some mechanical thing or approach thing that they all do that uh, makes it less effective for them? I think that probably there is some characteristic there that differentiates the group that will do really well if they hit more fly balls from the group that doesn't seem to do well. Um, and I think that unlocking that, whatever that is, is going to be really important for giving good advice to the hitters. Yeah, I'm curious to dig more into the... Uh, I'm curious that we are not seeing more pitchers attack if this is a pervasive phenomenon going through the game. Why are more pitchers, why are more teams not targeting the upper reaches of the strike zone and above it with high spin fastballs to get swing and miss and pop-ups? And and instead, we see pitchers continue to target the lower part of the zone, uh, even with a, a strike, strike zone that shrunk last year, and I believe is shrinking again this spring. This focus is still down, and the swing philosophy is supposed to do damage against those types of fastballs, and we are seeing slugging percentage go up there. So I'm curious how much of that is a cancellation effect. I'm curious how much will we see pitchers counterpunch? Will we see batters continue to be more effective down in the zone? So some of those trends I think are worth watching. 
I was I was really hoping your the batted ball report you procured Ben was going to explain all of the fly ball jump very in a very neat and tidy right. fashion, uh, and maybe it still does explain some of it. But uh, yeah, I don't know. That was I am still curious to to explore the ball. I'm not sure we have all the answers there, and maybe it's a lot of little things adding up to to one big thing: the home run fly ball rate, uh, which that's still a, a big curiosity for me. So. Yeah, that's that's one of the things I'm I'm curious to see to see play out. Yeah, I think pit- pitchers. You know, I don't know if there's any uh, league wide data on this, but I think certain pitchers are attacking more up in the zone with their their fastball. I know during our cavalcade of relievers in the off season, Glenn Perkins talked about this, and I think Grant Dayton did too. The guys with with four seamers are, are going up in the zone a little bit more. I think I think just anecdotally, we are seeing pitchers try to climb the ladder a little bit. And I don't know if, you know, this would have to attack specific, you know, specific kinds of hitters. So there's a lot of moving parts to trying to study this on a, any sort of large scale basis. But, uh, you know, I think we're, we're going there already. It, it's interesting to me because this is really the only thing that is kind of keeping a new dead ball era at bay because strikeouts keep increasing. And before this home run surge started, everyone was talking about how scoring was at its lowest rate since the mid 70s and strikeouts have only increased since then. So whatever it is that is producing all of these home runs is the thing that is keeping scoring in a range that I think most fans are fairly happy with and Major League Baseball is probably fairly happy with. And so if it's not the ball, if it is just a product of hitters changing their approach, then that's significant because it means that there could be a, a counter punch, as Travis is saying. And if pitchers can find a way to counter this and Historically, pitchers and defenses seem to gain the upper hand on hitters and offenses over the long run. So if that happens, then we could get back to a a point where this will prove short-lived and then we'll be right back to talking about whether scoring is too low and what baseball can do about that. So it's a a fascinating topic for me. At what point... And I'll ask this to all three of you. At what point could you see the dimensions of the field changing? Whether it's the angle of of the foul lines, the distance between bases, or the distance between the rubber to, to home plate, if just offense gets so out of whack in one way or another. Do you, is there any situation in which you think that could happen? I think a much easier change would be to deaden the ball uh, if they if they livened it. Oh, but they yeah they they just juiced it. Yeah, you know, well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think there's going to be a whole suite of changes necessary to to bring us more scoring without it all being in the form of home runs. Um, so maybe moving the mound back or something else. But I don't think they would change the dimensions of the field. At least the boundaries very much. I just I just it, it seems like much easier to change the ball than to do any of that stuff. I could see like the first five rows being taken out of the right field in Yankee stadium. That would be, that would be the first thing I would do. <laughs> but yeah, I think dead in the balls, as Rob mentioned, if necessary, that would probably be the, the most subtle move to make. It would maybe in a hundred years, a game will fundamentally change so much. You'll have to make some, oh, uh, I don't think we're going to be playing in a hundred years, but... <laughs> but I won't be around to see that. So uh, yeah, I wondered about that in the NBA too. Is there a point where you have to change? Uh, the three point line again or rim height. So, I mean, it's, it's possible something like this really fundamentally changes even the dimensions of the game. Uh, but I, I think we would see uh, humidors, super humidors everywhere before we saw uh, <laughs> t- dimensional changes to, to the playing field. 
Yeah, as a number of people have pointed out, it seems like the changes to play style that analytics have wrought in the NBA have been more entertaining on the whole than the equivalent changes in, in baseball. It's not so much fun to watch guys take pitches or strike out a whole lot, and that might be the, the best tactic, but it doesn't always lead to the most entertaining game. But I tend to think that probably we make much more of these things than the typical fan, even the typical hardcore fan because we're writing about this and we're podcasting about it and we are tracking these minute changes and sometimes bigger than minute changes from year to year in the game. But I don't know that someone who is just turning on the game and has it on his background or is watching only their own team's games would even really notice or mind or care all that much about these changes. Like even the, the three true outcome stuff about how fewer balls are put in play I don't know whether that has even come close to reaching the point where it's turning people off to the extent that they're going to give up on baseball. I'm I'm not sure that the sport has been fundamentally altered as a spectator experience enough to upset people who aren't us and who aren't looking at leaderboards all day. So I, I'm kind of hopeful that, that that's the case. And and for now, at least the home runs are good. Without the home runs, we would actually be in trouble. We might be at a place where people would be paying attention to how little scoring and how little action there is in baseball games. So at least now you can expect to see something hit over the fence uh, a couple couple times per game. (laughs) All right. Well, we will all be tracking this closely and continuing to write about it and have this discussion, but I'm glad that we could all get together and hash out where we stand on this and what we're still wondering about. So you can find Rob writing at 538 and elsewhere you can find him on twitter at no little plans with underscores between those words and you can find travis writing very regularly at fangraphs and also on twitter at travis underscore sachik so thanks guys thanks for taking place uh, taking part in the debate i wish we could have yelled at each other and had more bad blood just to goose our ratings a little bit <laughs> next time that's right rob call travis a fraud and a huckster who is selling the flyball revolution snake oil and uh and travis <laughs> call rob i don't know the opposite of that that'd be good for our show this was the most polite debate you guys are too polite yeah this is the most polite <laughs> debate in uh, 21st century media history so i'm happy to be part of that <laughs> Me too. All right. Thanks, guys. Good talking to you. Thank you. Thanks, guys. All right. So that will do it for today. Hope that you listened outside somewhere on a lazy Monday or maybe even after the holiday. But what could be more American than a Ringer MLB show on a holiday? So it's been good talking to you. We will be back with a new episode on Thursday. Talk to you then, Michael. Bye. Bye.